Well, how many of you have had difficulties in life? Yeah, see, I got a good show of hands. If you didn't raise your hands, you're lying. Right? You know, and, and our culture has a lot of different ways that we try and deal with that. Some psychological, some just plain silly, right? Um, people will use phrases and sayings that really, they don't really do anything. For instance, you've heard this over and over probably all your life. If life gives you lemons, do what? Make lemonade. I don't like lemonade, you know. So it's kind of insult to injury kind of thing. But when you stop and you think about it with our life, and there is a certainty of struggles, correct? The Scripture tells us, Jesus says, why are you surprised? There are struggles in this life. There are difficulties in this life. And if that's the only advice we have is to make lemonade, we've got a perpetual lemonade stand going, you know, out front. And so uh, there's got to be a different way of looking at this. There's got to be a different way of talking through this. And so I want us to, as believers, how do we deal with this? How, how do we work through these times of difficulty? How do we respond, especially in joy? Now, J James has a, a very powerful beginning to his letter. And it's one sometimes we have a real hard time with. Do you remember what it is? He says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into difficult situations uh, troubles, you know, this is my paraphrasing uh, of that, but consider it all joy. That just doesn't make sense. But if, if you continue on, you find out why he can say that. He says, consider it all joy because in what is happening in your life, God does a work. And that work does something unique in our life, and it helps us to grow, and it develops patience, and patience then gives it to its good works. And so I wonder how many times when we think about difficulties, when we're faced with troubles, when we have adversity, if we go to that mentality, if we go to this idea of this is an opportunity for joy. Now, James isn't the only one. It's like, well, you know, I'm not going to listen to James. He's, you know, he's got some crazy stuff in there. But James knew one thing. Above it all, no matter if we have difficulties for an hour, a day, a month, or a year, God's ability to do a work in our life is eternal. And so is the joy that he gives to us. And so we can go from that. Now, James is not the only one who deals with that. Paul knew that as well. Paul knew it probably better than anybody else within the Scripture. And so today we're continuing this series uh, in Philippians. Philippians is one of my favorite books. Um, I, I love Philippians. I, I guess I was trying to think through it this morning in the early service. I, I just mentioned that I love it. But uh, I remember in seminary, it's the one class where we had to uh, translate the whole book in Greek. And so I had a chance, really, it's probably the most study I've done in a book of the Bible. And so therefore, I was able to get out the most of the riches in the book. And so I think that's why I love it. Um, it was in Philippians 4, it was our, our uh, phrase, our verse, when we went on our mission trip to Brazil, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Brandon's going to talk next week on that great hymn that's in chapter 2. 
just so many wonderful things. And so we're going to read today from Philippians chapter 1, beginning in the second part of verse 18, reading through 21. Now we're going to look at all of the scripture from 12 through about 26. But that's a lot to read, and so I'm just going to focus on these as we look about this idea of how we can have joy in adversity. So if you would, in honor of God's Word, would you stand with me? As we begin there in that last part of verse 18, that last phrase, Paul says to them, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Now that word rejoice, it all comes out of that same idea of joy, okay? Rejoice. Because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Lord, we thank you for your word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us as we come to this time of dealing with adversity, with struggles, Lord, to know that even in the midst of all of that, there is joy. And help us to see how that is possible. Help us to see from the examples in Paul's life. Help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he works in our life. May we exalt you in all that we do and say, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all. Be seated. Now, just a quick couple reminders as we get into this passage, as we think about joy and adversity. Uh, remember, and, and you all will remember this, and you probably heard it many times, one of the first things we always have to remember is that Paul is writing from where? He's writing from prison. This isn't a time where he's on the beach having a good time and he writes this wonderful letter to the church saying, wishing you were here. He's in prison. And so we need to remember that because that is the background for understanding how important it is what he has to say. And the second thing is to be reminded again about the definition of joy. Brandon talked about it last week. We may talk about it again because it is so important. It is not about just being happy. I have to say that over and over again. There is a part of that that brings happiness and gladness, but that is not joy. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is everlasting. And the reason is because joy is deep down in our heart in our soul. And it is there because that's where Jesus dwells. It is there because we have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, and He gives us this deep, abiding joy. And so we say, well, I just, I just can't be happy all the time. No, you're not going to be happy all the time. I can guarantee you, I'm a Cubs fan. I'm not happy all the time, you know. But there's a difference that no matter what happens... I've got joy because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so even in the midst of adversity, how can we rejoice? Well, we see how we can do it because Paul shares with us just a few things that we can see of how he is able to have joy in adversity. 
And we're going to look at these three just briefly this morning. The first one, in this adversity, one of the first things that Paul says is that the gospel is proclaimed. The gospel is proclaimed. Look back at verse 12. You're going to need your scripture here because we're going to jump around a little bit. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, again, he's writing to the church. They're concerned about him. They know he's in jail. They know what he's going through. But he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. I am in Christ. Now think about this for a moment. Paul says, he writes them, I want you to know not to be worried. Don't be fretting, okay? Because even though I have gone to prison again, God's using this. And he's using it to spread the gospel in a unique way. Now think about how, how would have those guards heard the gospel message if Paul was not in prison? You think they're going to come to a rally? You think they're going to come to the synagogue and listen to Paul? No. The only way for Paul to be able to share the gospel with those who are guards, imperial guards, is to go where they are. And where are they? They're guarding the prison. And so Paul is saying, look, it has worked out. I'm reaching people. I'm sharing the gospel with people I never would have had a chance to do with before. And isn't that something to rejoice in? It's an opportunity for the gospel to spread even farther than I thought was imaginable. Now, you think about this. Paul was the one who was, you know, we, we see him. He was held captive. But he also had a captive audience. And the guards would rotate. You know, I imagine, you know, maybe some of them would say, oh, it's my turn to guard Paul again today. You know, I'm going to have to listen to him talk about Jesus. Good. Good. Never happened if he had not been in prison, right? And so the gospel went forward. And so that's one of the, the reasons that he could have joy in all of that. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It reminds me of the story, again, in the Scripture, it's in the Old Testament, of the story of Joseph. We all know Joseph pretty well, right? Um, we know Joseph was a favored son. Uh, we know that he probably liked to tell his brothers that he was a favorite son uh, and got him into trouble. He ended up having his brothers sell him into slavery. And then as he went and worked for Potiphar, he, he, he got into the wrong house with the wrong woman and, and she said things and he ended up in jail, in prison. Uh, there came a time for him to interpret a dream for somebody else in prison. He did it and say, hey, remember me when you get restored. And the guy forgot. He stayed in prison. Finally, he gets out after several years. And then he has an opportunity, his brothers come back. Now, how would you and I respond to that? Payback? You know, it's payback. No. That great line that Joseph says, what you had done for bad. This is my paraphrase. God has used for good. Paul could probably say that to the religious leaders. Hey, what you have done that you think was going to hurt me, what you have done that was bad, God is turning that around and he's making it 
good. Even in the midst of adversity. Well, Paul, you know, there's somebody out there that's that negative person. Yeah, but he's still in prison. Didn't you just hear what Paul said? Don't worry about me. I'm okay. Because what is my calling? My calling is to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we are supposed to do? To go and engage the whole person with the whole gospel anywhere, anytime, any place? Even in prison. Even in prison. And so, here we have Paul able to rejoice in that. But not only were the guards having an opportunity to hear the gospel. In verse 14, Paul talks um, that because of his adversity, the gospel is going forward because the renewed confidence of believers. Look at verse 14 again. Most of the believers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Now again, I ask us, does that make sense to you? I look at Paul, and Paul's in jail. Why is Paul in jail? Paul was sharing the gospel. So if I go share the gospel, what might happen to me? I'm going to go to jail. Well, doesn't that sound great? I'm going to go out and share the gospel some more just to see if I can get put in jail. It doesn't sound logical, does it? doesn't seem like it would go against common sense, but there's a reason for that. It had to be something else that moved them to do it. And I like what R.C. Sproul had to say. He said he believed that their response was because they saw authentic Christianity on display in the life of Paul. What it really meant to be a believer in Christ. And Sproul himself said, it is refreshing for me to think of Paul who was cheerful, optimistic, and confident in Christ, undiscouraged despite his circumstances. And in the midst of all that, as the Philippians are hearing this story, those around Paul are seeing him. They are not seeing him there huddled up and saying, you know, woe is me. I can't wait to get out. This is terrible. Why is God doing this to me? He's saying, no, hey guys, the gospel is being spread. And what more can be a part of my ministry than that? And they were encouraged by it because they saw this at work. Now, Paul was one who had gone through his times of trouble, hadn't he? It wasn't like this was the first time and it's kind of like, oh, okay, this isn't bad. I've just been to prison once. I haven't, I haven't had to deal with any other adversities. I haven't had to deal with any other problems. And so it's no big deal. We'll go back to 2 Corinthians and you'll hear it's a big deal. How many times did Paul receive 40 lashes minus one? He tells us five different times. He was beaten with a rod three times. He had stones thrown at him. He was in shipwrecked. He was in the sea for days. He had people after him, Jews, Gentiles, robbers, basically everybody just about was after Paul. It said that he had been naked and cold and hungry and thirsty. Put that on the job application and see how many responses you get. But what they wanted for bad, God used for good. And Paul could rejoice in that. Paul could have joy in being able to see what God was doing. Did it get him out of prison? No, he's still in prison. Sometimes that circumstance may not change, 
but it's what God is doing in the midst of that circumstance that makes all the difference in the world. And it gives us joy. So, the gospel is being proclaimed. Second, in his adversity, he understood that Christ is exalted. Christ is exalted. When we get that scripture that I just read a few moments ago, in verses 19 through 24, uh, I call it his Hamlet moment. Any of you had to read Hamlet in high school? Yeah, you're ashamed to raise your hand too. Uh, first service, nobody wanted to admit to having to read that. Okay. Um, I didn't say you understood it. I just said you read it. Okay. But, uh, but probably most all of you can quote something from Hamlet. At least one line. To be or not to be, that is the question. You go ahead and continue on with it. If you, yeah, don't, 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 don't nobody show off now. Don't do that. Now, Paul's situation is different, but he's facing this same kind of dilemma. He is at a point and he's in prison and there is this real sense that there might come a time where he would die. But there also might be a time where he would be released. And he's wondering which one of those would be better. And he goes through and he's dealing with this. And remember, he says, for me to die is gain. Why would he say that? Oh, I don't know. To die in Christ means no more suffering, no more suffering, no more heartaches, no more sickness, None of that, and you get to be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Is that gain? Oh my goodness. But then he also says in the same word, for me to live is Christ. For me to live in prison is Christ. For me to live a day and a night in the sea is for Christ. To give a testimony of what he's done. And I can have joy because it is Christ that is in me that is working these things through for his glory. And through all of it, then, he is exalted. He is exalted. So what Paul was saying, I think, in, in one situation was say, look, if I were to die, I want my life, the testimony of my life, to exalt Christ. If I am to live, I want everything I do and continue to do for him to exalt Christ. And so he says, he gives that summary, whether I live or whether I die. I think the one version says I honor him, but it's to exalt. It is to lift up, to give him his proper place, that he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. May I do that no matter what happens to me. I was reading an article this week by John Piper, and he, he kind of took that phrase, um, exalting Christ, or Christ is exalted, and he said, what would happen if we turned that phrase around just a little bit? And rather than saying Christ is exalted, we used it uh, in our English language, which I had to take him for his word because I wasn't an English major. Um, I always have to go to Sherry for my proofreading, um, and my grammar's not great. You know, so that's the way it is. But he says it becomes an adjective and it modifies something. Rather than just saying Christ is exalted, why not say Christ exalting whatever? In other words, may we pray. We, have we prayed Christ be exalted in our life? Christ be lifted up? What if we change that and said 
Lord, in my prayers, may I be Christ-exalting in the wisdom that I use. Lord, may I be Christ-exalting in the encouragement that I give. Lord, may I be Christ-exalting in my ministry, in my service, in my joy. You see the difference? One is accepting the fact. Christ is going to be exalted. But is he going to be exalted by our lives? And that's what Paul is saying. Either in my death or in my life, may I be Christ-exalting in all I do. That's a powerful thing to think about. Rather than just saying, well, we want the Lord to be lifted up, maybe we need to say, Lord, may I lift you up. May I exalt you by what I'm doing, no matter the circumstance, because that's what Paul was able to do. He was able in the midst of what he was going through to be able to bring this sense of joy and rejoicing because God was doing a work. And so what a powerful testimony he gives. The third thing that we see in this passage, and we see again back in verse 19, the beginning of this, is that the church is strengthened. The church is strengthened. Paul has already, Paul has already thanked the church for their prayers, and he says, it's through your prayers that I believe that I'm going to be delivered. Now, at that point in time, you might think, well, when, when Paul says that, it becomes very personal for Paul. It's all about Paul. It's like, yes, I'm out of jail. You know, I'm able to go do what I want to do now. That's not what he was talking about. He said, why would I have joy? Why would I rejoice because I am able to be delivered? It's because I can come to you and to help in the progress and joy of your faith. The progress and joy of your faith, that your faith may continue to grow. I'm not coming to you because, hey, now I'm free and I can do whatever I want. I'm coming to you because this is what Christ would have me to do. So whether I'm in jail testifying and, and, and sharing the gospel with prison guards or I'm free, I can come to you and I can share the good news of Christ and build you up, not only in your faith, but to help you to know and understand the great joy there is in knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. Because they could see it in his life. And friends, that's what the world needs to see. They need to see joy in the life of believers. Not fake smiles, not, you know, just happy, happy, happy. You know, I love that song, don't worry, be happy. No, I've got something greater than that. It's a deep abiding joy. Paul is a great example of being able to rejoice in times of adversity. And he was able, through it all, to allow God to do a work in his life. What about us? How do we respond to this? What are some takeaways today? And maybe you have different ones. Maybe something the Lord has put on your heart about something from what Paul has had to say or what James has had to say or what the Lord has even been dealing with you in the midst of some things. But here's a couple things I'd like you to think about as we go uh, through this week. Number one, joy is for all seasons, even adversity. Joy is for all seasons, even adversity. Now, 
How many of you have sang the song, Blessed Be Your Name? You know, Blessed Be Your Name. I'm not going to sing it. It's not a tryout. Okay. In that, that song, there are four verses to the song. The first verse and the third verse sound an awful lot alike. The second verse and the fourth verse sound an awful lot alike. The problem is one and three is not like two and four. Have I got you confused yet? Let's look at this and see what it says. Let me read to you verses one and three. It says, Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. When your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. And in the third verse, blessed be your name. When the sun's shining down on me, when the world as it is should be, blessed be your name. Man, there's just great things to thank God for, isn't there? That the streams are flowing in abundance. The crops are coming in. Everything is great. That's what I hear in one and three. It is easy to bless the Lord when everything is going great. But what about when it's not? Listen to verses two and four, and listen what it starts with. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, verse four, on the road marked with the suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Have you ever found yourself in a desert place? We lived, they call it the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, where I went to college, but everything around is just desert. That's all it is, desert. And if you get caught out in the desert, it's a tough place to be. And it can be that way emotionally, and it can be that way spiritually, that we are dry, that things aren't going the way they should be, that we're having difficulties, that there's some suffering and there's pain but what does the song say? It's reflecting the truth of the Scripture. It says, blessed be your name. And so whether there is these positive, wonderful things going on, there is an opportunity to bless the Lord. Whether there are other times it's difficult and the struggle, there's opportunity to bless the Lord. Paul had experienced them both. Right now he is in prison. It's not a place that he would want to be. But what does he do? He can bless the Lord and rejoice because he knows what God is doing in his life. There is joy for every season because it's here. Number two, this is the challenge for us, is to be proactive in exalting Christ. Be proactive in exalting Christ. In other words, I can be Christ exalting in all that I do. How can I do that? Because joy enables me to do it. I can't do it in my own strength. I do it in His strength. And I think of the salvation that is mine. We sang that song this morning, our sins are many, but His mercy is more. And we can have that kind of joy and knowing as we face difficulties that there are still times to rejoice because God is going to do a work in it and through it. And number three, don't, do not settle for anything but genuine joy. 
don't sell. Don't go for the cliches. Don't try and make lemonade. Okay? True joy is what helps us to be able to overcome every situation, any situation in life. Now, hear me this, because it sounds like, oh, isn't this great? Joy is just the answer. I'm not here to say, hey, I'm going to pray and I'm going to exalt Christ, and then like that, God's going to take me out of jail. Maybe there's still a work to be done there. Maybe through the midst of our difficulties, there's still a work to be done there. But we can trust in God because of genuine joy and what He has done for us, the grace that He has given to us. Most of us know this phrase. We've said it in church many times, and you can finish it for me. God is good all the time. Do you believe that? Don't make it a cliche. Amen? Don't make it a cliche. Because we believe it or we don't. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. For Paul, when he was free and sharing the gospel wherever he wanted, God was good. When he was in jail, how many ever times, God was still good. When the rains are coming and the crops are in, God is good. When there is a drought and there's some hardships, God is good. And the joy that we have helps us to understand that and to get through that. Because every single one of us struggle at times. If we are in this world, we're going to have adversity called life. And it's called living in a fallen world. It's just going to happen. Well, just a moment, we're going to sing a song about how God is good. Thank you. Always count on that. I don't know how you've come today. I mean, I know how you got here probably, but in your heart today, you know, in a, in a group this size and the group in the first uh, service, a little bit bigger. But of all the people that have come today, I can probably guarantee that someone's facing some difficult times right now. Maybe somebody's going through some adversity. Um, you know, and at church, sometimes it can be the worst place because we come in with smiles and we want to make sure everybody's happy. Get that word, happy when we need to be able to share joy with each other. And so in just a few moments as we sing, we're going to invite you, if you're going through something, you don't have to necessarily share it with me, but if you just need to come, Reed and I are going to be up here, and if you just need to come and pray, maybe you just need to come to the altar, because that's where the Lord tells you to go. To the altar before Him, kneeling before Him, to say, Lord, I need in the midst of this time of adversity, I need to re rediscover my joy. David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, do it again. And so if you're struggling or if there's anything on your heart that you just need to come and share and pray, we're going to ask you to do that.
Will you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you that even though sometimes we don't understand how it's possible, we know that there is joy in every circumstance. We know that you provide us with grace and mercy. You provide us with everything that we need to live for you. And so, Lord, as we face adversity, no matter what may be going on in our life, may it be something that can be used so that the gospel is shared, that the gospel can go forth. Lord, whatever it is that we're going through and how we live through that and how we trust you, may we exalt you for what you're doing. And Lord, may we as the body of Christ be strengthened in our joy, knowing that our joy comes from you. You are our joy. And no one, Lord, no one can take that away from us. May we experience that, Lord, in abundance. Because your joy is greater than any struggle. Thank you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As you stand together as we get ready to sing, if God has put something on your heart, if you just need to come and pray with us, you just need to come to the altar and pray. It is open for you to do that. But as we sing, will you come?